Turn with me in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1. If you're new to our church, or maybe new to Calvary Chapel in general, um, we love to go through books of the Bible, verse by verse, and uh, that's what we're doing. We just started a brand new study in the book of Nehemiah just recently. We're going to be continuing in this new study of the book of Nehemiah today. We're going to be looking today at a study I've titled, The Preparation of God's Servant. Our main text is going to be Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. But let's first read the first three verses. Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, sorry, I lost my train of uh, thought for one second. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Last week, we dove into those verses and also helped provide the, the context for this book. We looked at who Nehemiah was, what this book is about, why it's important for us today. But, but it's important we remember the news here that Nehemiah heard about the people of Jerusalem and the city of Jerusalem about what was going on with the people who had returned from exile, the broken down state of the city, as we dive into our verses this morning, because this news deeply affected Nehemiah. But I also want us to see that this report from his brother Hanani and other Jews who had come back from Jerusalem was part of God's providence his divine guidance and care to actually do something about the broken down state of the people and the city of Jerusalem so that it didn't stay the way it already had for far too long. When my friend, Pastor Nate Holdridge from Calvary Monterey taught on this chapter of Nehemiah, he pointed out that, that God revealed to, to Nehemiah that a gap existed between what was and what it could be. And I loved that insight. It's actually one that God brought to my mind also about a week and a half ago when I was reading our daily Bible reading in Ezekiel chapter 22. Now the setting for the passage, and I'm saying this because we, we see this kind of playing out in, in this chapter but the setting for the passage I'm about to reference took place early on in the Israelites' exile, their captivity, not long after being conquered by the Babylonians. But what God spoke to Ezekiel in this passage is powerful. Check out what we're told in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. God speaking to Ezekiel there. He says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall, and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. 
Now, again, in the context of that passage, God's saying, look, I was looking for someone to stand in the gap before me on the behalf of the land, make a wall, because I didn't want to bring in the Babylonians to destroy the land. But I found no one who would do it. But I I want us to notice that God was searching for someone who he could use to do something about the gap that existed. Do something about the state things were in that weren't where he wanted them to be. But there was no one who would make the wall and stand in the gap before him on behalf of the land. You guys ever look around and you see the way things are and it's hard sometimes to picture how they could be what God desires them to be. You ever looked at the state of someone's life and, and, and thought, how can it get from that to, to what God actually has said he wants to do in that person's life? We look around our world and we see the way things are and we go, that's not the way that God intended for them to be. It's not the way that God desires them to be. But how does it go from, from that to, to what God wants to do, to the thing that he's able to? to do. Maybe we look in our own lives at time and we go, how can it get from this? I know that this isn't what God has for me. I know that this isn't the the struggle that God wants me to stay in maybe, but how do I get from this to what God's saying in his word he wants to do that he can do? Sometimes the gap discourages us so badly that we just stay there. We feel hindered. We feel stuck. But to see that when God does reveal the gap, the brokenness, the the way things are that aren't how they should be or could be, that God doesn't reveal the gap to us so we just go, well, that stinks there's a gap. That stinks that there's broken down walls. That stinks that this person's life's in shambles. but that we would look at the gap and go, God, you, you, you're showing that thing because you want to do something about it. And maybe you're exposing that thing to me because you want to use me to be a part of the solution. You're wanting to maybe stir me to be that wall builder, that in the gap stander that stands in prayer before the God of heaven. And says, Lord, move here. Lord, work here. I I couldn't help but think about the work that God was wanting to do in the situation Nehemiah heard about. The gap that existed, that God wanted to do something about the way things were. The people living in distress and reproach in a city where the walls were broken down and the gates were burned with fire so that they could become the way He wanted them to be. The people living in a state of stability and strength and peace with those emblems as we considered last week of salvation and praise, the walls and gates of Jerusalem rebuilt and restored. Now, in Nehemiah's time, the the problem wasn't finding someone to stand in the gap of prayer to help avert 
judgment. It was finding someone to stand in the gap of prayer to help rebuild and renew and restore the, the broken down state that things were in so they didn't, didn't stay broken down any longer. And so today, God's still doing the same thing. He's looking for men and women to build the wall, to be a part of his work of rebuilding and renewal. Willing to stand in the gap before him in prayer on behalf of others and situations and places. But in order to be people who are willing to build the wall, we first have to gain God's heart and perspective about the gap, the brokenness that exists. And we see this happen with Nehemiah after hearing the report. Check out Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4. It says, So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah's response to this terrible report was not apathy or indifference, not really caring about what he heard. Oh, that's, that's a bummer. Oh, did you hear about what I did yesterday? Let me tell you this cool story. He didn't respond by becoming critical putting all the blame on those who remained in Jerusalem. Well, it's their fault. I mean, come on, they've been back in the land 92 years. How have they not done something about the walls and the gates yet? They're responsible. They're the part of the problem. What are they doing there? He doesn't do that. No, his heart was soft and compassionate and moved by what he heard, so much so that when he heard the report, he sat down and he wept and mourned for many days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, before this, Nehemiah didn't know that a gap, a problem even existed. I think on Nehemiah's part, given by how he responds, he assumed that, that problem had already been fixed. The gates had already been rebuilt. and re the, the, the walls were already back. I mean, why would he be so broken by hearing about a problem he already knew existed? He didn't know that was even going on. He didn't know that something was, was wrong. He didn't know that things weren't how they should be or could be. But when he heard what was going on, it broke his heart. It moved him to tears, to weeping, and to mourning. Uh, understand the people who were in Jerusalem, the returned exiles, who were in distress and reproach, were largely people he didn't know and had never met. And the city of Jerusalem was a place he had never been to or even most likely seen from a distance, and yet he responded as if these people were his closest relatives and the city of Jerusalem was the place he had lived in his whole life. Think about the things that move us oftentimes if we are moved to weeping and mourning. They're usually not people we've never heard about, people that we feel so disconnected by. It's usually, it usually has to hit home for us in some way. 
oh man, that's my, I, that was my neighbor growing up. You mean they, they died tragically all of a sudden? Well, oh, my, my uncle, are you, oh man, he has cancer. Like you hear about something and, and usually it touches you when it's something personal to you, but not usually when it's something that's so distant. Again, remember, Nehemiah is over 800 miles away from Jerusalem at this point. It's not in his backyard. It's not his neighbor across the street. These aren't people that he grew up with. And yet he was moved by brokenness. But that made me wonder about us. You know, it's painfully obvious that a gap exists in our day. That, that brokenness and pain and hopelessness and destruction is all around us. And, and some of it may be personal to us, but probably much of it isn't. But how do we respond once the Lord reveals those things to us? I mean, I'll just be honest for myself. There are things where it might touch me in a moment, but man, I've I move on from it fairly quickly. I talked about this last week, how media has trained us to be indifferent, that we just kind of, we hear something, it's horrible. Oh man, that stinks. Five seconds later, we hear something else. Some other thing that, that's going on, we scroll through and we're catching tidbits of information and stories and tragedy and it's like we're trained to just move on. We're not trained to mourn and to weep and to be moved by broken things, by damage and destruction and hopelessness and discouragement. We're trained to just go, oh, that stinks. Now what? Where am I going to go have lunch today? But are our hearts soft and compassionate and moved by what we see and hear? Do things move us to weep and to mourn and to fast and to pray or have we maybe become apathetic or indifferent or, or maybe even critical or cynical about the state of people and situations and places that God's heart breaks for and wants to do something about? Nehemiah responded with care and compassion. And maybe for some of us, even me asking that question, we're going, you know, and maybe we, maybe some of us are really soft-hearted, compassionate. Maybe we are like Nehemiah already. Praise God that he's done that work in your life. But if, if any of us are in a different camp, if we're more the indifferent, apathetic, or critical, cynical, like, how do, what do we do? Do we just go, well, that's just how I am? No, I think we need to go, God, forgive me. God, change me, soften me. Lord, break, you know, there's a, there's a line in a song that I always love. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. God, do that. I, my heart's not broken over the lost state of people enough. Because if it was, my actions would show it. How I interact with people would show it. And this is not a condemning word for any person. This is for me as much it is, as it is for any of you today. And maybe even through some of these studies in Nehemiah, God's just going, I want to bring it back to the fundamental things because a gap exists. 
And if we're seeing that a gap exists, how do we be people that don't just go, oh, look at that gap. Look at that problem. Look at that brokenness. Look at all the damage and destruction. Look at the hopelessness. Look at the sin that this person is immersed in and just go, all right. But actually, let God move us by those things. Like, shake us to our core. Because I don't think we're going to be the people that God wants us to be to, who build walls and stand in the gap before him in prayer unless God does those first things with us. Nehemiah responded with care and compassion, and that drove him not only to be moved emotionally, because it can't stay there, like we're just mourning and weeping. It can't just stay in that state. But it moved him to do the best thing he could spiritually, and that was to fast and to pray before the God of heaven. He brought those broken people in that broken city to God in prayer. Not just stopping at only knowing that the gap, the problem, the brokenness existed, but standing in the gap in prayer in a posture of desperation and dependency, which is seen in him fasting. The exiles, again, had been in the land for about 92 years at this point, and still the walls were broken down, the gates were an ash heap, the people living there were in great distress and reproach. And these things just reinforced for Nehemiah how badly God's help was needed, that if anything was going to change in a positive way, only the God of heaven could do it. But I also want to point out here that this time of prayer, which began when Nehemiah got the report, to the time where Nehemiah is going to get the opportunity to talk to the king about all of this in the first part of chapter 2, was a span of about four months. For four months before Nehemiah ever spoke to the king about what was on his heart, he prayed, as we'll see from verse 6, night and day. And God used that season of praying and waiting and even fasting in Nehemiah's life to burden and prepare and direct Nehemiah regarding what he was going to have Nehemiah to do. See, I believe there are things God wants to do through us, but before that can happen, there's first a work that God wants to do in us. And often that work he's desiring to do, he accomplishes as we pray, as we wait upon him in a posture of desperation and dependency and humility and faith. And I want us to understand that everything we're going to see happen in the book of Nehemiah really flows from how Nehemiah responds in verses 4 through 11. Before the building of the walls, before the overcoming of enemy opposition, before the teaching of the law, the confession and repentance of the people. Before the, the people renew a covenant with God, before the reforms that all took place, before everything else that happened throughout the rest of this book, all of it came as a result of the work that God first did in the life of his servant Nehemiah. And we see more of that preparatory work revealed to us in the prayer Nehemiah penned down in verses 5 through 11. 
But let's continue on, read verses 5 through 7 as we see the first part of Nehemiah's prayer. Verse 5, And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. An important first piece of that preparation God did in Nehemiah's heart is seen in Nehemiah first praising his God for who he was and is in verse 5. And not only is Nehemiah saying those things about God as a declaration of praise, but I also believe he's reminding himself of who his God is that he was praying to. Reminding himself of the character and the nature of his God. And see, people who effectively build the wall and stand in the gap before the Lord on behalf of others are people who know who their God is and worship Him supremely. Nehemiah made his prayer to the Lord God of heaven. The God who rules and reigns over all. Who's above all. Who's sovereign over all. But he also calls Him the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and observe his commandments. Clearly, Nehemiah knew who his God was and is, and it's so important that we know who our God is too. Because if we don't, do you know what happens when we see the gap? We don't even know that our God can do something about it. Or, or you know what happens when we don't really know the character and nature of our God. You know what can happen is we can come to him. When we see a gap, we might come to him, but we're like, the gap might seem bigger than God is. When we don't understand how great and awesome our God is, we might think our problem, the issue, the, the struggle, whatever that thing is, is actually maybe even too big for God to do something about it. We gotta know who God is. We gotta know his track record throughout human history. He's a God who keeps his covenant and his mercy to those who love him, love him and keep his commandments. You know that it's not enough for us to just stop at loving him? He says, love him and keep his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my word. We're like, well, that's kind of, you know, sometimes we come to things that are like love and obedience, and it just, the obedience seems like it's canceling out the love. Oh, why, why that? Just felt like it ruined the whole thing. Right? <laughs> like, what? Just love, just love him. Like, I don't know why I just turned into a Jewish, older Jewish male, man just now in my accent. 
I don't have an accent. <clears throat> but why? Why that? Because actions support the reality of our love. And any person in a marital relationship understands this. Because if you say that you love your spouse, but there's no actions that actually show that that love is there, that lo- the word love means nothing. If we love him, we'll obey his commandments. And what an amazing God we have, great and awesome, Lord God of heaven. He's over all, he sees all, he sees all that we're going through, he knows what's going on in our minds. And he's the God who keeps his covenant. He keeps his promises every single time. Nehemiah is saying these things about God, knowing that the nation of Israel were a nation who consistently did not keep their side of the bargain. They did not obey his commandments. That's why they were in the mess that they were in. But Nehemiah goes, but God, you keep your promises. You're merciful. Just a praise, a declaration of worship. God, you're you're so good. You're good to us even when we're not faithful to you. We've gotten ourselves in a mess, but you're still who you always have said that you are. Our unfaithfulness didn't change your faithfulness, God. Paul said to Timothy, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful still. He cannot deny himself. He can't not be faithful. We need to know who God is. But after praising God, declaring things about God, we see in verses 6 and 7 that Nehemiah's prayer shifts to one of confession. And this is another important element about people who effectively build the wall and stand in the gap before the Lord on behalf of others, that they are people who humble themselves in confession of sin. See, after praising his God, declaring truths about his God, he then asked God to to hear and to see. Nehemiah doesn't come to God demanding anything. He doesn't go, I believe you're going to rebuild this wall. Manifest the wall. Oh, man, the whole manifest thing that's like popular right now is so whack. I'm just going to say that. Don't fall into that whole weird thing. You're manifesting anything. Anywho, that was just a quick aside. He didn't demand anything. He's like, Lord, please. He's pleading with the Lord. Please. Hear, Lord, see. Not because he didn't think that the Lord saw or heard, but he just wants God to know, God, I need you to be here. I need you to be working in this situation. God, I need you to help. We need you to help. Please let your ear be attentive, your eyes open. Nehemiah had been praying continually day and night, pleading with God, bringing 
the people in the city of Jerusalem before God, knowing that the reason that brokenness and destruction was there in the first place was because the Jewish people had sinned against the Lord. They had acted very corruptly against the Lord. They did not keep the commandments or statutes or ordinances of the Lord which he had commanded Moses for the people. They weren't experiencing all that brokenness because God had dropped the ball, because God was at fault, because God didn't care, because God wasn't powerful enough to do something. No, they were experiencing all that brokenness because they had sinned and rebelled against God. They didn't want to do things His way. They wanted to do things their own way, and because of that, they had reaped the consequences of their sin. And, and, and Nehemiah doesn't point a self-righteous finger at the previous generation saying, they sinned! It was them. They acted corruptly. They didn't keep your word. No, he says, we. I. My father's house and I. As I said last week, just like we see with the prophet Daniel and with Ezra the priest, here we see Nehemiah identifying with the rest of the nation including himself with them, confessing with them that he had sinned too and that they all needed God's forgiveness and cleansing and healing. It's a lot easier to point our finger at the sins of others, but it's another thing entirely to point at ourselves and say that we are a part of the problem, that we have sinned. Isn't it interesting in our day, and it might just be because of sort of the, the, the psychologizing of like our culture, but we want to point at like a previous generation's sin to make excuses for our sin. And I'm not saying that the things that our parents or our grandparents or things that we saw or heard or were exposed to don't play a role in, in shaping us or affecting us, influencing us in some way. But just because my dad sinned, just because my mom sinned, just because my grandparents sinned, just because they had a struggle doesn't mean that I have to follow their footsteps. And if I sin, that's on me. I don't get to go, well, God, they sinned. They're the problem. I could say, God, help. Forgive them. Lord, help them. Lord, you could do something with them. And, and yeah, Lord, that did affect me, but I have sinned too. I have a responsibility for myself before God. You have a responsibility for yourself before God. None of us are going to stand before God one day and go, well, God, it was their fault. He's going to go, let's look at your life. Let's look at your actions. Let's see what you did. Let's see what you said. God is looking for humility in us. If we self-righteously distance ourselves from or elevate ourselves above other sinners, and I say other because we're sinners as well, 
we won't be able to be those wall-building, in-the-gap-standing people who humbly bring people before God in prayer. And then are moved by God to compassionate action in reaching out and ministering and sharing his gospel so that others can be saved and forgiven like we have. But now in verses 8 through 10, Nehemiah is going to move from confession of sin to confidence in the past promises of God. Let's read those verses, verse, starting in verse 8. Nehemiah praying, he says, Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you are cast out to the farthest parts of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Here we see another element about people who effectively build the wall and stand in the gap before the Lord on behalf of others, that they are people who confidently stand upon the past promises and works of God. Notice that Nehemiah is reminding God of his own words, his own promises. God, you said this. Lord, you said it. You know, I've said this before, but there's no greater confidence we can have in prayer than when we pray the promises, the word of God. Because if God's already said he would do it, like, I can be confident to say, God, you already, you said that. You said you would do that. Knowing that, it's so important that we learn, we know, we become confident of the word of God, the promises of God, so that we can stand upon and pray those promises in our own lives and for the lives of others. There's not ever a time when any one of us can look at somebody and go, God, you don't want to save them. Why? Because Peter declares to us in 2 Peter chapter 3 that God's desire is that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Every single person. We can look around and go, God, you want to save them? Lord, save them. Lord, work by your spirit in their lives. God, open their eyes. They're blinded to the truth. Lord, God, soften their hearts. They're hardened towards you. I can't even have a conversation about you with them anymore. So God, in my inability to even have that conversation, Lord, you be speaking. They can't tell you not to pray for them. I mean, they can You know, I love it if I get opportunities to pray with strangers because, like, I've never had a time where a stranger's interrupted me while I'm praying and said, don't pray that for me. I'm praying for, like, all kinds of things for people when they're, like, I can, you can. Pray for people. Pray the things that God has already said he wants to do in their lives. 
Intercede, bring them before the altar of God, the throne of God. Nehemiah reminds God in verses 8 and 9 of things God had said to Moses in the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. They had already experienced the scattering of their people among the nations because of their unfaithfulness, but Nehemiah was asking God to do the other part that he said he would do also. That if they would return to him, if they would keep his commandments even though they had been scattered to the farthest parts of the earth, that he would gather them, bring them back to the place he had chosen as a dwelling for his name, back to Jerusalem. And after reminding God of what he had already said, he reminded God of who the Jewish people were and what God had already done for them. Nehemiah confidently declares the identity of the Jewish people, that they were God's servants and his people who he had redeemed by his great power and by his strong hand. They belonged to the Lord. He had redeemed them. And Nehemiah believed that God still had more in store for them. And so for us, there's great confidence that God wants us to have that's connected to our identity, what God has said about us and done in us and for us. See, for those of us who have received Jesus' free gift of salvation by grace through faith in Christ and what he provided through his death, burial, and resurrection, we are now in Christ Jesus. I'm not just me off to the side. Well, there's that guy over there. Well, that's Jared in Christ and the other Jared in Christ. And George and Jennifer, we could go on and on throughout this room and go, we're not just people who were like, well, you know, we're off to the side. We haven't yet become the people of God. We haven't obtained the mercy of God. We're still living in darkness. We're still separated from God because of our sin. No, we're those who Jesus has brought in. And I don't have to like wonder about what God thinks about me. You don't have to wonder about what God thinks about you. His word is full of telling us what he thinks about us. What he said about us. Now we know the enemy wants to say other things. And and we might have a struggle with that at times. We might know like theologically... Okay, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I've surrendered my life to the Lord, so I've been saved by His grace. But you may not always feel very saved. I just say that to, like, don't rely on the feeling. You rely upon the promise that's been made. We're not saved because we feel saved. We're saved because... Paul says, look, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we don't go off the feeling thing. Not that God can't move in our feelings and we might, you know, sense the presence of God and the work of God in our lives, but that's not what I'm basing my identity upon. That's not what you can either. 
What has God said about us? Are we people like Peter writes about in his epistle, uh, epistle who were once not the people of God but now are? Who had once not obtained mercy but now have? A chosen generation, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation? We may not feel all those things, but that's what God says about us because of what Jesus has done. And you know what? I have a hard time standing in the gap when I'm not feeling very confident about who God is or who I am in him. I don't feel like I can even be a part of building the wall, strengthening others, being a part of the renewal and, and the rebuilding that God's wanting to do. When I'm like wondering if I'm like forgiven and saved and, and like I'm feeling condemned and I'm dealing with all these things, like we need to know what God has said about us. What is our identity in Christ Jesus? It's because of God. It's because of his son because of his salvation that we can stand before a holy and righteous and almighty God accepted by him, called his sons and daughters, all because of what Jesus has done for us. And that's amazing. If anyone here doesn't have that confidence today, if you've never surrendered your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ, I'm gonna give you that opportunity in just a minute. But let's read our final verse, verse 11. Nehemiah concluding his prayer, he says, O oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. He says, for I was the king's cupbearer. So after praising the Lord, declaring truths about the Lord, making confession of sin to the Lord, confidently standing upon the promises and the work of the Lord, we now see a personal petition of Nehemiah in verse 11. It was born out of submission to what he believed God wanted to do with his life. Notice he prays, and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah asked God, make me successful, Lord. Give me favor. Grant me mercy. In the sight of this man, which was Nehemiah referencing King Artaxerxes. The reason Nehemiah was praying for God to make him successful, to grant him mercy in the eyes of the king, was not because Nehemiah was about to ask for a pay raise or a vacation. You know, inflation, king, our stuff's getting really, Lord, give me mercy. <laughs> like, I'm not saying that's bad to pray. Like, those are good things to pray. No, he was praying for these things because he knew, or because he had come to the point in that season of prayer where he knew what God wanted him to do, but he knew he needed God's help to do it. And here we see sort of a final important element in these verses. And I'm not saying like all, in all of Scripture, but in what we've considered this morning about people who effectively build the wall and stand in the gap before the Lord on behalf of others is, is that they are people who are willing to walk in faith and obedience to God in His will. Nehemiah had a good situation. I mean, yes, he was in exile. 
but the, the people of Israel had a, had a different favor at this point in time under the Persian Empire, right? Under the Babylonians, they were just captives. Under the Persians, they were people who were able to return. Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. He was in a position of great responsibility, privilege, influence, as we looked at last week. But before and above his role in the king's court, he was a servant of God who was committed to living for his God no matter what that looked like or where that took him. See, what began as a burden was shaped, was refined, was given direction through prayer, through fasting, and then made a possibility because God had put Nehemiah in a specific position to get this opportunity, this open door, to carry out what God was wanting to work out. And we don't see that Nehemiah had this burden before he heard the report. We don't see that Rebuilding the walls was something he'd always wanted to be a part of. Man, since I was a little kid, I always wanted to rebuild the walls. I've been wanting to do that since I got older. He didn't even know the walls were still broken down. But through prayer, as Nehemiah sought the Lord with all his heart, as Nehemiah delighted himself in the Lord, we find that God put these things in Nehemiah's heart as he gave God access to his will and his desires and had a willingness to do whatever God wanted him to do. And the same is true for us. God will do those same things with us. How do we become people that all of a sudden are now burdened, now have direction, now have vision, now have a purpose in the things that God has, now see the good works that God has prepared for us to walk in? How do we get to that point? Well, we get to that point by giving God access to every part of our lives and our will. And then walk by faith. Nehemiah was not a priest. He wasn't a Levite. He didn't have any formal ministry training. No, he was a cupbearer for a pagan Gentile king living as an exile in a foreign country. But he loved and knew his God. He loved and had deep concern for his people in the city of Jerusalem. And he sought the heart of God through prayer. And it's in his seeking after God that God began to do something in Nehemiah, in him. So that God could then do something through his servant Nehemiah to be continued. Now the worship team come back up. You know, just as we see with Nehemiah, I believe there are things that God wants to do through us. But before that can happen, there's first a work that God wants to do in us. And often that work he's desiring to do, he accomplishes as we pray and wait upon him in a posture of desperation and dependency and humility and faith. Know this morning that the Lord is still searching for people to build the wall and stand in the gap before him on behalf of others. But how are we going to respond? How are we going to respond These things didn't happen overnight with Nehemiah. 
But just as God did a work in Nehemiah so that he could do a work through Nehemiah, God is wanting to do the same with us. And he is preparing us even today as his servants. And I just want to remind us that there is an ultimate wall builder and man that stood in the gap. And that was the man Christ Jesus, God in human flesh. He's the one. You know, we're just instruments in his hand to do the things that he's doing in the lives of others today. We see that work that God wants to do. He has done throughout human history even, even throughout the church age. But that ultimate work that was needed for you and me has already been accomplished and provided through Jesus. He's the one that even now from heaven ever lives to make intercession for you and me. He sees the gap better than you and I ever could. And he continually for all eternity, all eternity past already, has been standing in the gap for you and for me, praying for us as our great high priest. And look, this morning, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you know, you don't have to leave this place the way that you walked in. You don't have to leave feeling like, gosh, I don't know where I stand with God. I don't know if I'm really forgiven. I don't know if I'm really saved. Those things can be something that you can leave with confidence about. And if that's anybody here this morning, I just want to give an opportunity. If that's you, if you would just be willing to raise your hand where you're at so I can pray for you. Yes, I know that everybody's eyes are open. God's word says, look, if we'll confess him before men, he will confess us before the Father and all of the holy angels. Is that anybody this morning you're going, look, that's me. I need Jesus' salvation. I want him to forgive me of my sins. You know, maybe this morning for you, you're seeing the gap that exists. You're, you're seeing the way things are. And it's hard to know how they can get to where God wants them to be. I just want to encourage you, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart in that in-between time. God is working. He's working. Even when we don't see it, he's working. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. So thankful. God, for the things that you did in Nehemiah's life so that you could do things through Nehemiah's life, Lord. God, we're thankful that you see the gap better than we do. And not only do you see it, but Lord, you're able to do something about it. And God, maybe in our own lives, Lord, we're seeing, God, where we're at, knowing, God, that that's not where you want us to stay. Lord, I just pray that even this morning, God, you bring encouragement, you give hope. That, Lord, where sin is had a place of home in anyone's life, Lord, maybe they've been making excuses for their own sins, God, or maybe just not repenting, turning away from those things. God, I pray that even now, in your grace, you would convict God, in your grace, you would draw people to that place of confession and repentance.
and that God, you would forgive, you would cleanse, you would restore, you would heal. God, for those, Lord, who see the brokenness in the lives of others, God, and they just don't know how things can get better. Maybe it's just us even just looking around our, our, our nation today and wondering how things could ever change for the better. God, would we fix our eyes on you, the God of heaven. Lord, would we remember who you are? Would we know who we're praying to? God, would we be people of humble confession? Lord, not just pointing at the sins of others, but Lord, seeing that God, we're a part of the problem. And that God, we need you to work in our lives just as much as we need you to work in the lives of others. God, would we be people who know you, know your word, who stand confidently upon your word and your promises. Lord, would we be people, Lord, who walk in faith and obedience. Lord, people who you use to build the wall, Lord, to be a part of your rebuilding and renewal work. God, people who stand in the gap before you on behalf of others, Lord, who are moved with compassion. God, who even weep and mourn and pray and fast. God, stir us. Lord, change us. God, if there's any indifference, any apathy, any critical or cynical sort of attitude in us, Lord, God, correct that, change it. Lord, bring about a softness in us, a yieldedness, Lord, in us. That, God, our hearts would break for the things that break yours. And then, Lord, lead us. Lead us by your Spirit, God. And, Lord, even with, you know, that invitation being given, God, if there is anybody who, who didn't raise their hand out of fear or timidity or whatever that might be, God. Lord, those that are not confident, who need that confidence instilled in them, Lord, not because I'm just talking about it, because your word says it. That this morning, if there's anyone who needs the, the salvation of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the hope of Jesus in their own life, that even now you would open your heart to the Lord. Confess your sins to the Lord. Repent of those things. Turn away from those things. Turn to him in faith. Put your faith in him. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he died on the cross for you. And he rose again for you and for me, for us. Lord, those that do that this morning, God, would you put your spirit within them, seal them, save them, forgive them, Lord. Make them new creations in Christ Jesus. And God, would you empower them to live for you. Lord, we're thankful for this time. Lord, we just want to respond to your word now with these songs of praise and with the taking of the communion elements, Lord, as maybe some will head over to the corner of the room to receive prayer. God, we just ask that you continue to have your way among us, Lord in us, and then through us. We thank you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.